It's Florida Daily TV, brought to you by FloridaDaily.com. For all your news on politics, business, and education, it's FloridaDaily.com. Now, here's your host, Ed Dean. Hey, welcome to another edition of Florida Daily TV. I am your host, publisher of FloridaDaily.com, Ed Dean. Also, for all your news that updates every day and throughout the day, go to FloridaDaily.com, FloridaDaily.com. Also, follow us on Facebook as well. And before we get to our guests, a little shameless plug. As you, many of you know, I've been blessed. God gets all the credit. Uh, we do have the number one statewide radio talk show. We broadcast out of our flagship station, WBOB in the mornings from 6 to 9. It's also carried by iHeartRadio and Salem Affiliate Radio Networks throughout the state. And I'm, I'm blessed. So let me brag. No one touches our numbers here. But you can catch the morning show just sometimes on that on that smartphone. If you're not picking it up in the markets that you should be normally picking it up at, 6 to 9 in the morning, just go to WBOB.com. WBOB.com. Let's get to our guest. You hear her on NPR. She is the political reporter for the Daily Dot. DailyDot.com. Claire Goforth is back in the studios with us. Michelle Ertel, well-known news reporter, central with columnist with the Orlando Sentinel, Spectrum News, Central Florida News 13, all of that, your resume would take forever. Right here, she's also a Florida Daily News contributor as well. Let's get to the issues here. And i got a lot of topics I want to get to. Here we go. So every day, Michelle, I'm going to start off with you. It's like I want to get to so many other issues, but we got to talk about the teachers' unions. Now, let us go back and let me set this up. We knew in late May and early June, even when COVID was going up, not as much as what we've seen today, but you still had an increase. The teachers' unions were all set and ready to go. Some with digital, online, or e-learning is what it's been called now. Some also by going into the schools. And yet, now they've come back and they realize, hey, we can get it more money, not only from the feds, from state, but from local school districts. Some call it extorting out there. That's what some of the other journalists out there say. And then they've moved the goalposts further down. Let me play for you a clip. This is from some of the uh, teachers unions out there where now they have sat back and said, well, we pretty much want to go with CDC guidelines. We want to de- we want to see the numbers decrease. Well, first off, decrease from what, Michelle? Now, from 15, 20% down to five. Now they have come out this week in some of the school districts. I want to play the clip. In the state of Florida, they have now said that they do not support opening up brick-and-mortar classrooms until there is negative cases, no new cases. Are you ready for this? For 14 days. Here is one of the affiliates. Uh, this is, uh, who do we have here, guys? This is Action News Jack. There are several criteria they say that they would like to see met before they feel comfortable going back into the classroom. They're calling the event, quote, a day of action against pandemic inaction. DCPS school board voted in favor of a reopening plan with virtual brick and mortar and hybrid options available depending on a child's grade level. Protesters say they wouldn't feel safe going back to campuses until... There have been at least 14 days of zero reported new local community cases. 14 days. So here's my question, Michelle. What happens day 15 if we get a spike of 5%? Go ahead. Right. So so then they're just going to keep moving the goalposts further and further down until eventually they can work all day on a computer teaching children that way virtually. Look, unions tell us every single election cycle that it's about the kids, right? Not the adults, it's about the kids. Every tax hike we ever get, it's about the kids, no matter what. But um, social distancing can happen in school. Plexiglass between tests, uh, desks, masks. Maybe they have to sacrifice the gym and auditorium, but 
the good thing is in Florida, parents have choices. Parents can do virtual, uh, they can do brick and mortar, and they can do a hybrid. Parents know best, but what I see coming is a lot of parents pulling their kids out of school, going to a charter school, going to a parochial school. Um, unions don't like charter schools because they're not in them. Yeah, I mean, but this is what I'm getting at, Claire. At least you would think there would be a compromise. If you sat back and said, okay, if we see cases below 5%, which would today's day would be a major win, 14 days of no new cases, that's like telling a delivery driver, hey, boss, I'm not getting back on the road till there's no wrecks for the next two weeks on I-95 or I-75. Yeah, I mean, 14 days with no new cases basically is saying that uh, we're not going to have schools open this semester if that's what their requirement's going to be because, what, 65 of 67 Florida counties have cases of COVID? So I guess maybe those two counties will have school and the rest of us won't. Well, I think it depends on maybe the amount of COVID cases. uh, Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, you know, it's not just about the kids. It's also about the teachers. The teachers are worried about their own safety and the safety of their families. They go back into the classroom. Some of them may have pre-existing health conditions. They are definitely at risk of getting infected by one of these kids. And well, I mean, hold on. Let me ask. Why don't we just – we're told that, hey, as, as Michelle said, plexiglass, social distancing. Hazmat suits. And, and, and what, well, hold on. What about masks? We're told ma- just a few simple things can take care of it all. That would be a simple compromise, would it not be? It definitely is a compromise. But, I mean, I don't really think it's realistic to expect kindergartners to wear masks and to actually social distance. I mean, they just really don't have the discipline level for that. I, we can all agree that there are some really good reasons to send kids back to school because of nutrition, because they're losing out on learning, because of the socialization. But we are putting kids at risk and we're putting teachers at risk and we're putting the rest of the state at risk when we do that. Do you buy into that argument, Michelle? Does that sell? You know, it does. But here's the thing. Um, We all know the reasons that kids need to be in school. They need to be there. There are poor kids that the only meal they get is in school. These are there are children with special needs that need to be in school. And, you know, there's got to be some accommodations. And I don't think it will be just a semester or two. If we wait until there's no new cases for 14 days, you know, we're going to have to go through the winter when things are very contagious. And then I don't think it'll be a year. It will be a year. And can Florida risk having uh, kids out of school for a year? I don't know. I think, though, that it's up to parents. They've been given a lot of options, and I think parents know what's best for their child. All right, let's go to issue number two, COVID stimulus relief package. What is this, like phase four? Here's one of the clips of what's being talked about. The White House and Congress are working on another relief bill. We've spent an unprecedented amount of money. The good news is a lot of the $3 trillion we still have left to put in the economy and put back to work. We're focused on starting with another trillion dollars. We think that will make a big impact. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said that during an Oval Office meeting, then told reporters, we'll spend what we need to spend. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says a trillion dollars won't be enough. So they say a trillion dollars is not enough. You know that a few months back they passed the biggest spending bill at three trillion. The progressives said that wasn't enough. We need to go with four trillion. This is where the next big debate is coming from on the issue of unemployment. Build the GOP's plan for phase four, which includes $105 billion for education and a reduction in federal emergency unemployment benefits to $200 a week. All right, so I want to get to the $600 to $200. How much do we need to spend? Because this is what I'm getting at. The, the starting line is at $1 trillion. That doesn't even include the negotiation with Democrats, even here in the state of Florida, of what they may want for their districts. 
Where do you draw the line here, Claire? Yeah, that is a tough question. I mean, I think going from 600 to $200 is pretty insulting to people. We're going to have Floridians that are getting a max benefit of $475 a week. I'd like to see people who can live on that with a family. Um, you know, and also, where is that money going to go? this time are we going to see a bunch of ppp loans go on to millionaires and billionaires like we did last time or to the Democratic or that guy Party. who bought a lamborghini in florida yeah. they say i mean you know there's a lot of fraud going on I people are suffering that, yeah. people are suffering because of coronavirus so let me let me get to this here is and i could play so many clips about this but here was oklahoma senator james langford about the unemployment listen to this clip there's an additional six hundred dollars per week per person for anyone on unemployment insurance that that allows an individual to make about $48,000 a year on unemployment assistance. Many individuals that don't make $48,000 in their normal job, but they're making $48,000 now on unemployment assistance. Literally, it would encourage people that make less than $48,000 a year to not go back to work because they could make more by staying on unemployment insurance. Okay, Michelle, so let's point this out. It was a co-op with Democrats and the Trump administration, $600 through federal unemployment uh, benefits. By the way, which employees don't pay, the employers pay. Number two, on top of that was also state unemployment. You had people in some states making 800 900 If they made 600 bucks a week at 15 bucks an hour, 40 hours a week, they're making almost $1,000 a week. Now it's going to be cut back from 600 to 200 Why don't we pay people to work instead of paying people not to work? Well, that'd be a great idea, but we got to open up the economy first. Look, this $600 a week, um, employers that I have spoken to, says that it's a disincentive. They're not able to get some of their employees back at their jobs, you know, right. um, because um, they make more uh, collecting unemployment. So it's really hard. Part of gradually opening the economy is gradually getting people to work, and we need to focus on that. Yeah, I mean, it does create a disincentive for people going back to work. We talked with Carol, uh, 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 Carol Dozer from the Florida Restaurant Lodging Association and other groups, and she says that's one of the – she goes, we can't find more workers because why? They're making more money on unemployment. So what should we do? Continue the $600 a week for how long? Yeah, I mean, that is a dang good question. Here's a better one. Why do we have an unemployment system that look that is a one size fits all? It doesn't matter how much money you were making. If you were making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and you get laid off because of coronavirus, well, here's your six hundred bucks. If you were making eight dollars an hour, you get laid off because of coronavirus. Here's your six hundred bucks. So, I mean, why is it a one size fit all system? Well, it does on the federal side. Go ahead, Michelle. I think that's a great point. Um, you know, not everybody needs the same amount, and um, you know. Maybe we need to restructure it. Maybe this is a wake-up call for the states and the federal government to figure this out once and for all because there could be another crisis down the road, and we need to know what we're going to do, and we can do better. Let me talk about some of the proposals. Remember, $1 trillion is the beginning starting line. Democrats here in the state of Florida think we should go up to $3 trillion plus more. Listen to what Bernie Sanders said on how much should this is great i don't I already see you laughing here michelle listen to this one bernie sanders and how much individuals should get inside the family our position has got to be that we will protect the american people economically in my view that means providing another check it should be two thousand dollars every single month per person until the crisis is over <laughs> the question is when do you determine when the crisis is over michelle 
when businesses are back open, when they're paying um, their employees a regular wage, when they're fully staffed, when people are no longer getting sick. All right. So um, what do you see this going here? Because as much as and by the way, the Republicans can no longer be the party of fiscal spending out there. I mean, for crying out loud, you had Rand Paul calling members. We played the clip last week of his of colleagues in the Republican Senate called him Bernie bros of all this that's taken place out there. So it's going to be interesting to see where some, a lot of the money is divvied up. And the other big topic, which I, we probably don't have time today, is bailouts for states. Pre-COVID, is some of that money going to go to fix up and to ensure even local cities here in the state of Florida, their pension system? Yeah, I think uh, Bernie should give Andrew Yang a little credit for that idea because basically he's talking about a universal basic income right. throughout the rest of the pandemic, which some people, I mean, there's some support for that idea. The And they they say it can be successful. I don't know. I mean, it does sound like socialism to me, which is kind of a non-starter in America, um, although we're seeing younger people start to get on board with that. I mean, the fact is that we're trying to muddle our way through a historic crisis in the middle of an election season, in the middle of some historic unrest along racial lines in this country. I mean, there are so much going on. And saving the economy is definitely one of those big things. Speaking about racial lines, let me start off with you. Michelle, you're out of central Florida, you know, um, and I was born and raised in Brevard, so I've covered her. But, Claire, let me start with you. Val Demings, uh, attractive candidate, uh, former chief of police. Was it the city of, uh, of Orlando, right, Michelle? Yes. Okay, so, Claire, she is uh, she's a liberal. She's not a moderate. And yet I've been reading by the Bernie crowd um, that loves to defund the police. I'm reading all the Facebook. I'm talking credible people now. The, her word or her name is a VP pick. They don't like it because she's a former cop. I sat back and went, I can't believe what I'm reading here. Yeah, that's 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 terrible, honestly. I mean, how can you say that somebody who dedicated their life to serving the community as a member of law enforcement, that is a very dangerous job. I I'm, mean, I don't think she'd be. Uh, my baby cousin, views. Yeah, you I may mean, not, but my baby, baby cousin is a police officer and I'm very proud of what he does. But like to say that someone just because they have law enforcement background, they're not suitable for vice president. I mean, that's pretty messed up. Michelle, let me go with you. Bill Barr, the attorney general. Oh, boy. Let's get into this one. Was being grilled by some of the Florida Democrats out there. Of course, it was 95 of the Democrats, uh, you know, pondering out there of what their next word was going to say. Actually, everything was already scripted. And it was about maybe 5% of Bill Barr. Listen to some of the Area 51 uh, conversation out there where, uh, let's see, let's get to some of the clips here. Uh, Federal police is being used by Bill Barr and the Trump administration for campaign photo ops. You ready for this? Here's a clip. The president wants footage for his campaign ads, and you appear to be serving it up to him as ordered. In most of these cities, the protests had begun to wind down before you marched in and confronted the protesters. And the protesters aren't mobs. They are mothers and veterans and mayors. We fought for a democracy, for the right to speak freely, and you are attempting to take that away. What's worse, you're doing it for the sole purpose of furthering the president's political agenda and generating footage for Trump campaign commercials. Let's even go further. Cedric Richmond, a congressman out of Louisiana, part of the Biden campaign, says that Barr um, is pretty much the uh, poster boy, along with others of his uh, predecessors of uh, out there of system, systemic racism. Listen, because he didn't invite any black people with him as far as staff. Listen to this. One thing that you have in common with your two predecessors, both Attorney General Sessions and Attorney General Whitaker, is that when you all came here and brought your top staff, you brought no black people. 
That, sir, is systematic racism. Here's what the attorney general had to say about why aren't the Dems condemning um, the riots that are taking place. Attorney General Bill Barr clashing with House Democrats repeatedly over the response to violent protests. For several criteria, they say that they... All right, here it is. What makes me concerned for the country is this is the first time in my memory that the leaders of the Democratic Party are not coming out and condemning mob violence and the attack on federal courts. Uh, why can't we just say, you know, the violence against federal courts has to stop? Uh, simplistic, some would say. Um, it's amazing to watch the Democrats now be more about local and state rights since they want to federalize everything. Kind of interesting there. Claire, I want to start with you. Uh, federal property, the AG's coming in saying we're going to come after you. What is wrong? What is uh, imperfect about this if there is anything wrong about it at all? Yeah, it seems like Democrats have put themselves in a position where they can't say two things are true at the same time. One, the violence is wrong. The vandalism is wrong. Two, the federal response is wrong. I mean, those both of those things can be true. We've seen federal agents who are really acting as an incendiary in Portland. Let's just be honest about that. How so? Because their presence, their tactics, the fact that they've been pulling people off the street, throwing them into vans who are just witnesses to something, which is just incredibly unconstitutional. I mean, that is how you end up from a protest to a riot. Because people see that, they see it on the news, they see it happening in front thought, of their eyes, thought, and they well, react. I thought the feds were already there because they were riots. I mean, burning down the courthouse. That's what they're calling it, right? I mean... Well, what would you call it when somebody's got Molotov cocktail and all that other stuff? Uh, you know, certain types of, um, they would say, glorified fireworks b- uh, bombarding them. Well, I'm, I'm just asking, yeah, what do you call it? I know, it? that's tough. I mean, violent protest, riot. It's hard to, when you use that term, it's such a loaded term. That- but is, it, is this really the issue? I mean, Michelle, this isn't happening everywhere. We don't see this happening in Florida. It's happening in Portland, Seattle. you got crime in Chicago. So I, don't, I may differ with some of my conservative friends. Is this going to be the big issue? Defunding the police is a totally different issue. But, I mean, is this conspiratorial talk that we're using that the president and the attorney general are sending in police and they're doing it because they want to use it for photo ops for the 2020 campaign? I don't believe that to be true. Um, You know, I, I, I think that there are some really terrible things going on in some of these cities and they are unable to get it under control. So so when a federal building is attacked, the people who are responsible for that federal building need to respond if if the local folks are not going to do it. I'm all for them showing up there and keeping the peace because the peace doesn't seem to be kept. Even the Democratic leaders aren't speaking up and saying, hey, stop it. If someone has got to stop it or people are going, more people are going to die, more property is going to be destroyed. So where does this go next? Yeah, I mean, Michelle makes an excellent point. The leaders on that side, on the Democratic side that are involved with the protests need to take a stand if they want this to end. I mean, are they actually furthering their goal of decreased police violence against black people and dismantling systemic racism by throwing Molotov cocktails into a courthouse? I don't think so. On the other side, I'd like to know whether or not they're actually engaging with these protest groups. Are they just merely sending in cops with clubs to bash heads? You have you have a dialogue with leaders from the How do you other have dialogue? Side. Hold on, wait. How do you have dialogues with people that aren't following law? They want to again cause more havoc there into are, federal property. There are leaders on, on that side that certainly will be willing to talk. I can't. I mean, I just can't imagine that's not true. I you know, I don't live in Portland, say, so I wait, can't wait, speak to that. Is this like the Taliban and the Afghan that, police trying to come together that way they can have a little bit of they peace? They did have talks. I mean, heck, if we can invite the Taliban to the White House, I'm pretty sure that we can figure out a way to engage with Portland protest d- groups. Okay, so who is the face of all this? I mean, all its moms. It's uh, listen. What we have covered it's antifa it's black lives matter and they i don't know how this is supposed to 
bring awareness, if they say a police brutality, bring awareness in the light of the unfortunate incident with George Floyd. I don't see how this honors his memory, Michelle. I agree with you. Look, um, we need to have a call for calm and a calm a call for peace. We need also need to not have Trump being incendiary when he with his tweets about about these groups. You know, we need to as Americans, we all need to take a step back, dial it back a notch. I think if you meet with some of these leaders, the ones that are promoting this, you're going to have to you're going to have to eventually charge them with some kind of uh, with domestic terrorism because that's exactly what's happening. Is that what's going to happen next? I mean, you know what? If you are encouraging lawlessness, then there certainly is room for criminal charges. All right. Um, it, it goes by fast as we do this every day. Political reporter for the Daily Dot, Daily Dot dot com. Also, you can uh, listen to her uh, throughout areas in the state of Florida on NPR Radio. Claire Goforth and our good friend, who's also a contributor to FloridaDaily.com. You can see her on TV as well many times and on radio with iHeart stations as well, which we are affiliated with, uh, our good friend Michelle Ertel. So, hey, good job. I mean, I always had a good time. And uh, Michelle, I'm glad you were to come on. Claire, good to have you. Don't forget, for all of the news stories out there, one of the largest publications, go to FloridaDaily.com, FloridaDaily.com. And you can always email us at FloridaDaily.com of any questions or comments that you may have. Check out also our YouTube page, all the videos we have. Again, FloridaDaily.com. This has been Florida Daily TV. I'm your host, publisher, Ed Dean. We'll see you next time.